Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode number 79 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. And this is episode two of me recording in the shop, Merv's Card Town and Sports Shop. Unfortunately, we are not open yet. Hopefully, hopefully very soon. Fingers crossed. However, the studio, all the recording equipment is here in the shop, in my office. So, yeah, episode number two, recording in the shop instead of my house. Here we go. I have a bone to pick. And bone to pick with the Boston Red Sox. I am fuming about this pathetic, absolutely pathetic team right now. They make me want to literally not watch baseball for the rest of the season. And quite frankly, if I do, I probably wouldn't miss much because this team is playing like straight dog ass. And before I go on a mega rant about them, which I won't do just yet. I won't do it just yet. However, there is some Patriots stuff I want to talk about, but I probably will talk about that later on in the episode because Patriots' first preseason game is Thursday. So I kind of want to leave today's episode off kind of uh, with a cliffhanger about Patriots chatter instead of me talking about them early here in the episode and then me just ramble and rant about the Red Sox and how pathetic they've been playing and how pathetic and awful that series was against the Toronto Blue Jays so I'd rather leave you with more Patriots uh a more of a Patriots discussion as we exit today's episode before Friday's recording where I can kind of pick up Friday's episode talking about the preseason game against the Washington football team so that's kind of my mindset for today's episode on how I'm kind of planning it out so today it's gonna be Red Sox it's gonna be Patriots 
buckle in because when we talk about the Patriots, it's a very exciting time. Preseason game number one is right on the horizon. Yes, I know it's preseason games and they don't really count, but in a way they do. I will talk about that. Excuse me, I just had dinner. Later on, (laughs) I know, it's probably disgusting. I'm sorry. But first, I got to ask, how was your weekend? Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend where you're able to enjoy the beautiful weather. And if I got to be honest, the weather was a little scary this weekend. Not because there was, you know, any rain or cold or snow or whatever. I hope no. I hope no snow, right? But because it felt like fall. It felt a little too much like fall for my taste. Now, I know there's a lot of basic bitches out there that really love pumpkin spice and, you know, the fall weather, flannels and leggings and all that good stuff, which, like what you like, I don't care. But come fall, and as the the leaves start to turn and they start to fall from the trees, and you see those uh, pumpkins out there, the the jack-o'-lanterns and all that good stuff, we all know that you're going to miss your margarita and tanning on the beach. We all know it. So calm the fuck down in terms of getting excited for fall season. Because l- listen, I love the fall too. Technically, my birthday's in the fall being in December. But I, I love summer. It's my favorite time of the year, my favorite set of months. I'm not ready to leave. This summer's been really iffy and whatever. So let's enjoy the rest of summer for as long as we can before, you know, those that, you know, got to go back to school before football season really starts. Basketball and hockey is on the horizon in a handful of weeks now. So cool it with the pumpkin spice. Drink your margarita still and tan before you bitch and complain about that. It's too late. Anyways, like I said, hopefully you had a great weekend. Going to talk about Red Sox, Patriots, and hopefully after that, you'll be able to have a fantastic week. And Thursday's preseason game number one for the Patriots. I'm so excited to talk about live Patriot action, honestly, for the first time on this podcast. Because if you remember, I didn't start this podcast until January, like mid-January. And obviously, the Patriots weren't playing in mid-January because they were fucking 7-9. and nine, And they sucked. And they proceeded to bring back that quarterback. Anyways, I'm not going to talk about that right now. I will talk about the Red Sox and how trash... They played over this weekend against the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto, north of the border, and not at the AAA Stadium in Buffalo. I do remember sitting here, and I'm pretty sure you remember me sitting here as well, that the Red Sox could not afford to lose this series. After getting swept by the Rays the weekend prior, after losing 2-3 of to the abysmal who up and coming, give them respect. You know, they've been in the tank for a few years now, but they're starting to get some young players and play nice. But still, you know, they're really nowhere to be close to being taken serious, the Detroit Tigers. And then you come up on the Toronto Blue Jays. Long road, uh, long road stand, I understand. You know, you, you Tampa, Detroit, and now Toronto. But come on. This series was crucial. Four games against the Toronto Blue Jays. And you lose three of four? You were lucky to split the doubleheader. I'll tell you that. You won You won two to one. You were lucky to split that doubleheader. But uh, 
you lose 12 to 4. It was like a close game for, uh, you know, until the middle innings, and then it just got absolutely ballooned. Then you lose one nothing in the first game. Now, say what you want about the doubleheaders being seven innings long, how it's more of a, you know, JV game, accelerated pace, and all that good stuff. I think it's kind of exciting. I don't want a permanent, I don't want games seven innings long permanently. However, I have made a case for games to be eight innings long, which I do think could gain some traction. However, games being seven innings long for doubleheaders has a little spice to it. And if they get rid of it, I think I'm, I, I hated it at first. In all honesty, I did hate it at first, but I do kind of like it right now. I ain't going to lie. Anyways, you lose the first game with a doubleheader, then you squeak out a win in the second game with a doubleheader. And then you lose 9-8 to eight yesterday in Game 4 of the series. I'm agitated. You are up 8-4, to four, entering the bottom of the 7th inning. 8-4 to four, with a relatively good bullpen, right? I've sat here and said that the bullpen has really improved, you know, really exceeding expectations. I didn't want them to improve the bullpen at the deadline. I was one of the few that said that they shouldn't because I personally would like to see Chris Sale go in there just for a little bit maybe. He will come back to the rotation uh, Saturday against the Baltimore Orioles. We can talk about that another time. However, the bullpen, which has been a real strong suit for this team, the pitching in general has been, you know, has been glue for this team. In all honesty, this team... Pitching staff has been glue. Say what you want about Martin Perez. Say what you want about Garrett Richards. They all suck. We know. And the bullpen doesn't have the biggest of names. Matt Barnes, Adam Ottavino. Okay, I get it. But honestly, without this bullpen, you guys, the Red Sox probably have lost another five games. In all honesty. Yeah, I would honestly say at least five games if it wasn't for this bullpen. Because there's been countless times where the Red Sox offense has sucked and been miserable. I mean, look at, uh, where is it? Look at the 2-1 to one victory. Pitching staff gets you that 2-1 to one victory. Not your offense scoring two runs. And on the other side of the coin, you know, you got to say, oh, the pitching staff has given up eight runs to Detroit, 12 runs against the Blue Jays, uh, nine runs against the Blue Jays yesterday. Okay, I will give you that one. I'm not going to win every argument. However, you could also argue that the Red Sox won nothing lost to the Blue Jays in the first game of the doubleheader on Saturday is a loss due to the lack of offense because giving up one run for a whole pitching staff, though it's seven games, is still pretty good. Like I've sat here before earlier in the season, I've said if you can give up two, three, maybe four runs every once in a while, you'll win a lot of games, especially with this offense in this lineup. And if you can give up two, three, maybe four runs, excuse me, with this pitching staff, I'll take that because at the beginning of the season, we expect we had low expectations for this pitching staff over unders for Evaldi and Rod- Eduardo Rodriguez was nine wins. And at the beginning of the season, I hit, I had to hit those overs because if you wanted to be successful, you would have needed them to win at least nine ball games each, especially since you didn't have Chris sale coming back. You really didn't know what you were going to get out of Martin Perez and Garrett Richards, which obviously isn't much Tanner Houck, you know, was ready, wasn't really ready. So there's that. Oh, man. The Red Sox, though. Oh, my God. They were up 8 to 4, the bottom of the seventh inning. 8 to 4. 
you know what really pisses me off? What really pisses me off is that the decision makers over for the Boston Red Sox. I don't know if it was Alex Cora that filled out the lineup card, you know, true to himself, or if it was the nerds in his ears, probably the nerds, right? That it almost felt like Sunday was a getaway game for them in terms of their starting lineup. I mean, you have Hunter Renfro hitting second. You have Kevin Plawecki hitting sixth, who's in, you know, in in his respect, he has been, you know, playing nicely as of late. But still, Kevin Plawecki hitting sixth, come on. Bobby Dahlbeck hitting seventh. Jonathan Averroes eighth, and Duran ninth. Now, that lineup, it is what it is. But having Marwin Gonzalez pinch hit for Bobby Dahlbeck, I don't know what inning it was. Uh, it was, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was in the ninth inning. Marwin Gonzalez pinched hit for Bobby Dahlbeck. Now, Dahlbeck yesterday was two for four going into that potential at-bat with a strikeout. He's been struggling against righties. I get it. But Alex Cora or whoever, the nerds, the decision makers, whatever, for the Red Sox, decided to pinch hit Marwin Gonzalez for him. Now, Marwin Gonzalez is a switch hitter, so he should be able to hit righties or lefties. And I know Bobby Dahlbeck has been kind of a disappointment this year, you know, only hitting 218, 264 on base percentage, 391 slugging. I get it. Has not performed nearly as good as, you know, MLB, the Red Sox, even us fans expected or wanted him to perform. But two for four is a pretty good day. You know, it's a nice little day right there potentially kind of get the wheels back and turning and you pull the rug right on right out of under him maybe a little shot to his confidence he was feeling good two for four you know let me get on base here let me try to do something for my team nope gets pinched hit for a guy who's hitting 201 which is 17 points less than him granted he has a 280 on base percentage which is higher than Bobby Dahlbeck but a 286 slugging percentage which is Way worse than Bobby Dahlbeck. 286 slugging. Slugging percentage. That's not an average. That's a good average. That's a slugging percentage. That is pissful. Pissful. And then, you know, Christian Vasquez pinch hits for Jonathan Araruz, whatever. Duran goes two for five with two Ks. It is what it is. Whatever. I, I just... And let's scroll down to the... Where's my mouse? Where's my mouse? There's my mouse. Let's scroll down to the pitching. Garrett Richards, five innings, six hits, four runs, three earned, one walk, two strikeouts, and a home run. Yuck. (laughs) Yuck. We just demoted Martin Perez to the bullpen, and now Garrett Richards is still sucking. I don't know. I don't know with this team. Eduardo Rodriguez, Nathan Eovaldi, Nick Pavetta... Tanner Houck and Chris Sale coming back. Can we please get Garrett Richards out of the rotation as well and not have a six-man rotation, please? You have Tanner Houck, who's relatively a fresh arm. You don't want to wear and tear Chris Sale, so I understand not want, you know him not being fresh and such. But there's nothing wrong with having Garrett Richards spot starting every once in a while. Just don't have him start, period. I mean, you know, like in, in the... I keep hitting my mic. I'm sorry. It's just... I'm I'm agitated i am 
furiously agitated with this team. You know, doubleheaders, have Chris Sale pitch one and Gary Richards pitch the next one just so you don't have to wear and tear the rotation or whatever it may be. And then Sawamura gives up two, uh, two earned, two walks, couldn't get out of the inning. Matt Barnes gives up, you know, was it three-run home run, I think it was, in the bottom of the eighth inning. I, I don't know. I, I It's just they're in a terrible, terrible slump right now. They're 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. They've fallen to four games out of first place. Tampa Bay Rays are 8-2. and two. New York Yankees 8-2. and two. Toronto Blue Jays eight and two in the last ten games. You're two and eight. Yankees are only six and a half games back from first place. Blue Jays only seven games back. And if you care, the Orioles are twenty nine games back, but whatever. And it's gotten so bad for the Red Sox. They are now tied. Actually, they're not tied. Actually, if virtue of you know lost column, the Oakland Athletics are the one seed in the wild card. Due to winning percentage and losses, the Oakland Athletics on a four-game win streak and oh, also are eight and two in their last ten games are the one are the one seed for the wild card, and you Boston Red Sox are the two. Yankees two and a half games back from the wild card, Blue Jays three games back, and the Mariners five and a half games back from the second wild card spot. How how the mighty have fallen. Seriously, how the mighty have fallen. Like, every team that I've listed, with the exception of the Baltimore Orioles, went out and improved themselves. Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, Athletics. Even the Mariners made a move. I don't know how serious that move was. I'd have to go look into it again. But even they made a move. Oh, but you brought in Kyle Schwarber, who's injured. And we are now officially what, 10 days past the trade deadline, 11 days past the trade deadline. I, I just, I don't know. And if you want to look, you know, 10 games since the deadline or, you know, around the deadline, whatever, 2-8. and eight. This team that was overachieving for three months, that was very likable. People wanted to watch them. You got great performances from... You know, a good chunk of, you know, your starting pitchers. And you had some good starts and some great starts along with some bad starts, you know, in between. And your lineup was performing very well. Very, very well. But now you look like a mediocre team on the brink of falling out of the playoff picture, missing October again. Again. After missing in 2019. COVID short in 2020, which we all know you were packing your bags and trying to get a draft pick, which, you know, got a nice one this year, Marcelo's, uh, Marcelo Meyer. And now this year. I just... Give me some consistency. And I'm not going to put it all on the players. I don't even know if the coaching staff should, you know, be taking a brunt of this. I think it's management. Heim Bloom, John Henry... Not going out and making the big move. Now, you didn't have to go out and get Chris Bryant. You didn't have to go out and get Javier Baez. 
I would say that almost everybody in Boston wanted Anthony Rizzo. And the Yankees of all teams pick him up. Like, I, I, you, you didn't need to make the Max Scherzer trade. I know it was rumored and reported. Yeah, it would have been great. You know, you, you kick Richards out. You have Sale, Scherzer, you know, Evaldi when he's pitching good. Rodriguez when he's pitching good. Nick Pavetta's been really solid all year. That's a pretty, really good, li- uh, almost said lineup. Pretty good starting rotation right there, especially come October when it's a four-man rotation. Didn't pull the trigger. Didn't want to give up the, you know, the prospect haul that the Dodgers gave up, which I do not blame you. That was a massive haul, and I think it's going to work out great for both teams, especially in a couple years for the Nationals. And honestly, it could. It's probably going to work out for the Dodgers because I, you know, they, they have a strong shot at winning the World Series. Giants look really tough in that, you know, National League West, but. As the season goes on, I keep thinking the Giants are going to fall off, but oh, they're four games in first place now. Their lead is getting bigger. But you sat on your hands. You got Hansel Robles. You got Kyle Schwarber. And you traded Michael Chavis. You know, the Michael Chavis trade is it is what it is. I'm not going to you know, say that was a good trade or a bad trade. You had to open up a roster spot. I get it. But what... An absolute debacle this team has turned into in a mere 10, 11 days. Come the July 30th trade deadline, it was evident that this team was struggling. They needed help. They needed a boost. The dog days of August were coming up. That's usually when playoff teams, playoff contenders, playoff hopeful teams go out, get a boost. Bring in someone who can you know, give it a little resurgence whether it's on the field or in the locker room. The Mets did it, Javier Baez. Giants did it, Chris Bryant. Yankees did it, Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo. The Tampa Bay Rays did, Nelson Cruz. Toronto Blue Jays did, Jose Barrios. But the Red Sox, nothing. Absolutely nothing. They brought in Kyle Schwarber, who's, you know, really good season so far, a little dinged up, you know, being on the I.L., but you want him to go play first base, which he's never played since what college it was? Or, you know, low A ball? <sighs> That's your boost? That's your resurgence? A guy who's on the IL when you needed it now? All of these teams that made moves across Major League Baseball have had impacts from all the players they've acquired in one way or another. I'd probably say... You know, obviously the Yankees, the Blue Jays, duh. You know, the Rays with Nelson Cruz, yup. The White Sox, you know, getting a big move themselves. You know, Scherzer and Trey Turner with the Dodgers, Brian with the Giants. I'm just trying to look. The Brewers, who did the, who did the Brewers bring in? I know Willie Adamas earlier in the season. I can't think of who else they brought in. They brought in someone else. Braves made moves. You know, like I said, the Mets made moves. The Phillies now in first place. You know, they brought in Kyle Gibson. All the players. It was a massive trade deadline, too. It's not like it was quiet and there was like two or three moves made. It was a massive trade deadline. A legitimate trade deadline where you saw players going from one team to another several times. The week before, a few days before, and even on the day of the deadline. And all these playoff hopeful contending teams have had impacts from... All of their new guys. Except you. Except you, the Boston Red Sox. 
Why? Now, I don't want you to go out there, trade Duran, trade Cassis. But you could have went out there. I honestly think bringing in Anthony Rizzo would have been the right move. Now, would I, you know, would you be 9-1 in your last 10 games? You know, crushing the ball, pitching well? No, I'm not going to guarantee that. But you'd feel a little bit better. You'd feel good about that move. You'd feel a little bit better like, okay, we're in a slump. We got a bunch of good players, players with experience. Our defense significantly improved with Rizzo. Another lefty bat. Leadership in the locker room. You feel good about all that. But no. You don't get any of that. You get none of that. And it's biting the Red Sox in the ass. And I honestly think, you know, Xander Bogarts, Devers, J.D. Martinez. I don't think they're responding well to it. Your big three players, your best players in your lineup, they you, you should be able to trust them day in and day out, but they go through slumps. Every pro player goes through slumps, no matter what sport it is. They're going to have a great 10 games. They're going to have a bad 15 games. It happens. That's why you bolster your team to brace for that and to prepare for that. You know, the Red Sox, knock on wood, have been fortunate to not suffer any major injuries to their opening day roster. Their only major injury this entire year to their team has been Chris Sale recovering from Tommy John surgery, which he had last year. You've been fortunate. A lot of playoff teams, playoff hopeful, playoff contending teams suffer through injuries. Look at the Yankees. I feel like the Yankees, year in and year out, have like 40 guys make an appearance on the I.L. And they're still competitive year in and year out. Whether, you know, they're six and a half games in first place, nine games at, you know, the worst time. I think they might have spent a little bit of time in first place at the beginning of the season. But no, they went out and made moves to better themselves, to give them a better chance to, you know, to get a wild card spot or, you know, in a perfect world, win the division. You didn't brace for that. What if, you know, knock on wood, Alexander Bogarts or Raphael Devers rolls an ankle or, you know, sprains a, a muscle, a ligament, sorry, sprains a ligament. What are you going to do? You're going to have Jonathan Arauz play shortstop every day? You're going to bring up Tristan Cassis a little too early every, and have him play third base every day? No, you're porked. You're absolutely hosed. And I, I, keep, I hate keep saying, you know, Anthony Rizzo, Anthony Rizzo, but, you know, he's just the perfect example in this situation. You know, put in any first baseman you acquire, any true first baseman you acquire at the trade deadline. But, you know, in my scenario, I'm just going to say Anthony Rizzo. Have Anthony Rizzo at first base, you can have Bobby Dahlbeck play third base, his natural position. Bobby Dahlbeck, if those that don't know, he's a natural third baseman learning first base. He has been because Raphael Devers is over at the hot corner. Hopefully for over a decade longer. And if anything happens to him, at least you have a nice security blanket where you can slide Bobby Dahlbeck over and have, you know, Rizzo be your everyday first baseman instead of him and Dahlbeck splitting time. What happens to, you know, you know God forbid anything happens to Xander Bogarts? Who's your shortstop? Not that Anthony Rizzo is going to play shortstop, but I mean... Seriously, who? Marwin Gonzalez? Your 240 leadoff hitter, Kike Hernandez? Jonathan Araruz? Bring up Hudson Potts early. You know, 
See what you got in him. <sighs> Jeter Downs. But he's probably going to be your future second baseman. So you don't want to bring up a prospect too early. It could hurt. It could damage them. It could be you know beneficial to you know get some MLB time. You know maybe struggle a little bit or succeed and then go back down to the minors or stay up. It doesn't. I don't know. But the Red Sox are so fortunate and so lucky to be in this healthy for this long in the season that if anything was to happen to any of their you know big players, Bogarts, Devers, Martinez, Vasquez, Verdugo. You know, even Eovaldi or Rodriguez at this point. You're done. I mean, Hunter Renfro's been playing a pretty good, uh, having a really good season his first year with the Sox. So if you want to throw him in there, go ahead. You're done. All you had to do was bolster the team. And bringing in Kyle Schwarber, maybe when he's healthy, you know, maybe, you know, September when he's healthy, sure. But we don't know that. We won't know that. Not until he plays. But you do know that every team that made a move to bolster their roster has had an impact from their new respective players and have made impacts for the now. For the now. Athletics, 8-2 and two in the last 10 games. White Sox, 6-4. and four. Blue Jays, 8-2. and two. Yankees, 8-2. and two. Rays, 8-2. Phillies, 8-2. Brewers, 6-4. and four. Giants, 7-3. and three. Dodgers, 6-4. and four. The only one I didn't name is the New York Mets who brought in Javier Baez. They're unfortunately 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. But however, the New York Mets are the New York Mets and we don't really care about them. Even the Reds, 8-2 and two in the last 10 games. Creeping up on the Brewers in the National League Central. Only 5 games out now. I think it was 9 games at one point. 8 games? I don't remember. Anyways, you see my point. I've, I've screamed about the Red Sox for over 20 minutes, if it's something like that. I'm done talking about them. I will give you, you know, just kind of keep you up to date. You got the Rays tomorrow, first pitch, 7-10. Wednesday, 7-10. And Thursday, the 12th, at 4-10 p.m., first pitch. Big, crucial, massive series against the Tampa Bay Rays. Then you got three against the Orioles. All six of those games are at Fenway. And then you go to New York for a quick three-game series against the Yankees. And then I'm not going to talk about you know the series after that because I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I believe I said that the Red Sox what was at seven games, four against the Blue Jays, three against the Rays, five and two. You can kiss that one goodbye. You got to win two or three. You have to gain something on the Rays in the standings because if you don't, well, you can say goodbye to probably first place. You can maybe even say goodbye to second place in the division, quite frankly. Four games out right now, the Red Sox are from first place. You win two or three, you get to three games. Doable. Doable. Four games is even doable. You know, perfect world, you sweep. Now you're one game back. Then you got a nice little layup with the Orioles, or it should be a layup with the Orioles. You thought the Tigers were going to be a layup, and they weren't because you lost two or three to them. So these next six games, three against the Rays, three against the Orioles, I don't want to consider the Yankee series because I don't want to get too far, you know, middle of next week. You know, I'm trying to look at short term, short picture right now. You know, the Red Sox are just really struggling. You really got to, you know, turn this thing around ASAP. So I'm only going to look at the next six games, rest of this week and weekend series against the Rays and Orioles. 
you got to go uh, five and one, four and two. I mean, there's really no excuse not to sweep the Orioles. So that's three right there. And I was saying you need to win at least two or three against the the Rays. That's five right there. That's five and one. I'd say five and one. Otherwise, this season, you might just need to crinkle it up and throw it away. But, folks, that's just my thoughts, my opinions, and what I'm blabbing about the Boston Red Sox. I want to hear your thoughts about the Red Sox, whether it's reaching out to me on social media at Murphs underscore Boston ST, where the ST stands for Sports Talk, or if you're listening to this on YouTube at Murphs Boston Sports Talk. Comment down below. Let me hear what you have to say about anything and everything Boston Red Sox right now, really after their four-game terrible, terrible four-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays where they lost three of four. And honestly, they easily could have lost all four of them. And honestly, they probably could have won all four of them as well. Anyways, that's it. That's going to be it for the Boston Red Sox chatter. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm done. I'm not talking about them anymore. I do. I do. I do. I do want to talk some Patriots football, which I alluded to at the beginning of the episode with the Hall of Fame induction. What was it? Yesterday it was or the day before? Was it yesterday? I think I think it was the day before. Whenever it was. There was a question presented to Bill Belichick today during his press conference about, I think, Peyton Manning being enshrined in the Hall of Fame. Or was it Matthew Slater? You know, whatever, whatever. I want to play a snippet of that. Because I really think what he had to say was interesting, and it raises the question. And I will present this question to you after I let you listen to this answer from Bill Belichick. Oh, it's good to be in Canton. Yeah, it's a great spot. Um, a, lot of, a lot of history there. Uh, it's great to see the players. Um, unfortunately, we lost a few here in the last year, two years. Unfortunately, we lost a few here over the past year or two. Huh. I wonder, I wonder what he's referring to. Now, me, I have my guess, my speculation, my assumption, my thoughts. But before I give you what I think, or how I interpretate that quote from Bill Belichick. Pause this. Pause this, you know, this episode. I'll pause it for you right now. And while it's paused, I want you to think to yourself, you know, tweet at me, you know, Instagram DM me, you know, comment down below on YouTube what you think that meant. What do you, how do you interpretate you know, unfortunately, we lost a few over the past year or two in regards to Hall of Famers. So take this time now. Think to yourself, tweet, DM, comment, whatever. What he, what he, what you think he meant. You want to know what I think? How I interpretate that? The loss of Thomas Brady. He knows. He knows fucked up he knows it 
not just because Tom Brady won his seventh Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No. Because of the current quarterback situation he has now with Cam Newton. Yes, okay, hold on. First of all, losing Tom Brady and him having regular season success in a deep playoff run alone is probably enough, especially with the season that you had, is enough to really regret that decision. Then he goes on to win the Super Bowl in his home stadium, Raymond James Stadium down in Tampa. Plus, you went 7-9 and nine with Cam Newton. Oh, listen, I don't think Bill Belichick or really any critics, maybe even us Patriot fans, would be regretting Bill Belichick from moving on from Tom Brady if we had a decent season last year, whether it was with Cam or with Jared Stidham. I think if it was with Jared Stidham, I think it'd be a little bit more positive outlook. Say the Patriots go 9-7, and 10-6, and six, brink of the playoffs. Maybe even they make it to the playoffs as a wild card. Lose first round, it is what it is. But at least with a young Jared Stidham, you got something. You might have something with Jared Stidham. 9-7, and 10-6, positive record. No, you didn't win the division, but you, you, you were able to sneak into the wild card. And you were able to at least get into the dance and maybe make a miracle push at the Super Bowl. You know, Jacoby Myers had a nice season. Your offensive line looked really good. All you know, it did improve this offseason, but you know, it was solid last year. Defense really underperformed, had its moments, but you saw some growth from Kyle Duggar, Chase Winowich, JC Jackson. So at least you have something there to kind of munch on. And look back and say, it could have been worse. We're, we're not rebuilding, but we're retooling. I guess you could kind of say rebuilding, sure. But at least the bottom didn't fall out. And although you went 7-9 and nine last year, the bottom kind of fell out last year. Cam Newton, terrible play. James White, underutilized. Uh, terrible season. Julian Edelman, injured. Nikhil Harry, I don't even know what to say about him. Defense was pissful. Like I said, did have its moments at times. Overall, it just wasn't really good. Missed the playoffs for the first time since 2008, although you only missed it via a tiebreaker because Tom Brady tore his ACL in game one of that year. And you went 11-5 with Matt Castle, which was a really good season. And if Tom Brady, say he wasn't going to return for the 2009 season or whatever, at least you can go into that offseason feeling good about Matt Castle, right? Nothing to really go uh, feel good about going into this offseason except the 15th overall pick and you flirting with drafting a quarterback. But hey, if you had Jared Stidham and he played well, then maybe you wouldn't even need to have wasted the 15th pick on Mac Jones. I don't want to say wasted, but used the 15th pick on Mac, uh, Mac Jones. Could have used it on defensive help. Maybe move up and draft uh, Devontae Smith or whatever to give you a wide receiver. Uh, I, I it's just, you know, with the season, how it went last year, there was really nothing good to look forward to. You, you watch the playoffs, you watch Brady win the Super Bowl, and then there's the offseason. Yeah, you made a boatload of moves. And 
honestly, those moves probably would have happened regardless if he went seven and nine, eight and eight, nine and seven, or even ten and six last year. Probably would have happened because there was a lot of holes to fill, a lot of money to spend. And then you get a lot of buzz when you draft Mac Jones. A lot of buzz when you draft Mac Jones. And now it's Mac versus Cam. There's some buzz there, although he keeps shooting down that it's going to be Cam, which I don't know freaking why. Anyways, I'm digressing. The purpose of the point here is Belichick knows and regrets letting Brady go. He knows it. How can he how can you tell? How can you tell me that he doesn't regret messing up? Seriously. He knows he let the greatest quarterback, the greatest football player, and arguably the greatest athlete in all of sports in all time go away, walk in free agency. All you had to do was just pay him. You freaking paid Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, uh, Matthew Judon, Jalen Mills, you know, everybody under the sun, anybody that's put on pads before, you paid market price. And you don't do that. Oh, by the way, you're going to let Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson walk at the end of the season. I already know, Bill. I already know. You'd probably pay Stephon Gilmore a long-term contract before you pay J.C. Jackson. Although it might be a couple million off maybe, or even the same, because you don't pay your, your homegrown guys. And over the years, Tom Brady did take less, you know, so you could put more towards the team. I get that. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, although it was not a rookie, con- you know, a player coming off a rookie contract, you didn't pay your homegrown guy in Tom Brady. And you had to live the 2020 season with Cam freaking Newton. And potentially the 2021, God, please don't, no, 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 not the 21 season with Cam Newton. But be in this weird age of limbo because you don't know who your quarterback is this year or moving forward. And you felt the pressure to draft Mac Jones. Maybe you didn't want to, maybe you did, but you felt the pressure to. Or at least draft a quarterback. I mean, say say Justin Fields and Mac Jones is on the board and you know come the 15th pick. You felt the pressure to take one of them. And you were probably praying that Mac Jones was taken before 15, so there was no pressure to take a quarterback. Because then you could have took Kellen Mond or Davis Mills in the second round, and you know there's no pressure with a second-round pick, or at least from Bill Belichick's perspective. Because I think when Nikhil Harry was drafted a couple seasons ago, he felt the pressure to give Tom Brady a weapon, and he failed drastically at even doing that. So yes, Bill Belichick knows that he let... Tom Brady walk away and it was a massive mistake wasn't it come on reach out to me social media comment down in the YouTube section below comment down in the comment section below on YouTube if you agree with me like I'll play the cut again hold on He corrects himself in the last year, two years. When did Tom Brady say he was going to leave the Patriots? March of 2020, I think it was, before kind of COVID really hit. Which is 16 months or so ago, 
and a year is only 12 months. So do some math. Do some math. It's been a full year, over a full year, since Tom Brady has left the New England Patriots. And he said a year. No, two years. It's true. It's facts. You can't tell me it's not. <laughs> you can't tell me it's not. Ugh. To hear him finally admit it brings a little bit of peace to mind, I guess. Because he was so hell-bent about how it was the best decision for the team, how you know moving on from Tom Brady is a hard decision, but it's one for the you know best team. Oh, all that garbage PR stuff, right? But to him finally admit it, indirectly admit it, he did not say that, oh, we let Tom Brady go and it was the worst mistake of my entire coaching career. He didn't say that. But he indirectly said, yeah, letting Tom Brady go, future Hall of Famer, wasn't my best move. Wasn't my best move. So that's what I really found the most interesting out of this whole press conference from Bill Belichick earlier today. I was listening to, I think I got to half of it before I started recording. I didn't really find anything else that, you know, piqued my interest. A lot of, you know, the typical Bill Belichick. Oh, well, we're playing, you know, the Washington football team this week. You know, it'll be a good time for us to really show out and see what we can do. Every day we're just trying to get better, you know, playing a good opponent, working hard every day, trying to improve, you know, all the typical bullshit he says, right? But he says that comment? And that really piques my interest. That, mm-hmm. Not because I'm pissed that he let Tom Brady walk. Not because he replaced him with a washed-up Cam Newton. But because he knows he messed up. And he feels the pressure. That's why he probably spent all that money. Now, I don't know if that's for sure, you know, why he spent all that much money. You know, I think he would have done so anyways. But... I definitely feel like there was a little bit of pressure him to bring in all these guys. And we're just going to have to wait and see what the 2021 Patriots look like because Bill Belichick needs to have a bounce back season. If he misses the playoffs, if he doesn't win a playoff game this year, the Tom Tom versus uh, Bill conversation, who's better? It's over. It's Tom. It has to be Tom. I mean, look at Bill Belichick when he was the coach of the Browns in the 90s. Wasn't that good. Wasn't that good. And he comes here his first year in 2000. Also wasn't that good. And I'm not going to give Tom Brady all of the credit. You know, I definitely do think that, you know, the players around him at the time, the defense at the time, probably Bill Belichick's coaching skills at the time as well really helped propel Brady to stardom. And, you know, I'm a true firm believer that it was mainly both of them. That were, you know, both of them were responsible. You look at the 2008 season when Tom Brady tore his ACL. You go 11 and five with Matt Castle, missed the playoffs by virtue of a tie. Pretty solid season with Matt Castle, who was a backup rookie at the time. Well, he wasn't a rookie, but he was, you know, rookie contract backup at the time. You go three and one with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. During Brady's four-game suspension, I believe, 3-1. and one. Yeah, because you were 3-0 and oh and you lost that game to Buffalo, which was horseshit. But anyways, but then you look at, you know, Brady goes to Tampa Bay, wins the Super Bowl. So this is a big year. 
I, you know, it's a big year for Tom Brady, too. I mean, he's 44 years old. What what left does he have in the tank? And Bill Belichick, he needs to make the playoffs and win at least a game to not completely lose it. Because if he doesn't make the playoffs, period, it might, well, might as well be over for him. That's kind of harsh, but I think it's kind of true. Anyways, almost been, what was it, like, you know, 46 minutes or so at this point. And I've just been kind of talking, you know, I talked down about the Red Sox. I kind of talked down about, you know, Bill Belichick. So I kind of want to lift the spirits up here, talk about some good stuff, right? And I said I'm going to leave this episode, you know, cliffhanging Patriots and kind of, you know, bookmarking a conversation about the Patriots, especially with their preseason game number uno coming up against the Washington football team which I don't think they should change that name. I think they should just keep it. It's cool. It's different. It's got a little spice to it instead of just like, you know, a, a mascot, whatever. The Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> Anyways, three things. Three things. One, two, three. I'm looking forward to for this preseason game number one. Now, with only three preseason games coming up, kind of have to gauge it a little bit different usually the first game is you get people back on their feet some you know your starters may not play because it's the first game you don't want to rush them back you know try and take things slow injured players you probably want to see you know some of these fringe players really play in the first preseason game the second one things kind of ramp up a little bit third preseason game is as close to a regular season game as you're going to get where the starters play two two and a half quarters maybe even three full quarters of the game. And then the fourth one is probably just a minor tune-up, maybe for players that miss some time in the preseason, maybe a week or two. Fringe players, players trying to find their role, make the roster, bunch of guys just so you can sit your starters and kind of have a bye week for them in between the preseason and the regular season. So with only three games for the preseason this year, it's going to be really interesting to see how that works. So I kind of feel like, the mindset for the first preseason game in a three-week or a four-week, uh, you know, format is going to be the same. Kind of just like you know, introduction. You know, kind of get your feet under you. I think that's going to be the same, and I think week two is going to be more so like week three of the old format where your starters play a lot, and then the week three is going to be more so like the week four, where you kind of give your starters a bye week, maybe have some final touches maybe like a quarter or a quarter and a half for your starters. And then you sit them, kind of give them as much rest as you possibly can, kind of figure out the fringe players, players that are going to be on or off the roster, and just kind of go from there, really. So three things. One, two, three that I'm looking forward to from preseason game number one. I want to see the offense. Now, I know that's kind of very broad. You kind of have to leave it broad, right? Because you really don't know what to expect. You don't know who's going to play well or who's going to disappoint, what it's going to look like, Cam versus Mac. What, you just don't really know. So I, I want to see how the offense looks, how Nelson Aguilar or Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, how the offense looks. There's no Julian Edelman anymore. How the tight ends. You know, I know Hunter Henry's going to miss some time because of an injury, but Jonu Smith, how is the offense going to look? Is it going to be up-tempo? Is it going to be slowed down? Is it going to be run-heavy? Is it going to be pass-heavy? Play action. These are all things that I'm really looking forward to. And a lot of these things I don't know. I honestly don't know. Is it going to be different between Cam and Mac? 
Is it going to be different between the second string and the starters that the starters even play? You know, how about the third string guys? You know, is Gunnar Oshlesky going to get some time at wide receiver or is he just going to kind of be a return specialist? Nikhil Harry, what is he going to look like? He's been getting a lot of great, you know, rapport and a lot of great um, takes from a lot of analysts that he's really taken a step up this year. You know, he barbarically asked for a trade with no leverage, and he's kind of living up to that hype of, you know, being a former first-round draft pick out of Arizona State. So what is he going to look like, the running backs even? So just the whole offense as a, as a collective group, I'm really interested in seeing how they perform, specifically under the two quarterbacks. And that leads me to my second point. Second thing I'm looking forward to in this game is Mac Jones versus Cam Newton. Now, T-shirt and shorts is one thing. Padded practice is a whole nother thing. But in-game, in-real-life game reps is catastrophically different. And I'm not going to sit here and say that Cam Newton should, I'm sorry, Mac Jones should get the first string reps, that he will get the first string reps. It's going to be Cam Newton. We all know it. But how much time do they split? Do, you know, do they you know do a drive each? Do they do two drives each? Does Mac Jones even get to see you know playing time with the starters? How is Cam Newton going to throw the ball? How is he going to run the offense? What is Mac Jones going to look like when he runs the offense? When he's under center? How he play calls? These are all things that I am immensely looking forward to out of those two. You know, if Mac Jones really shows out, say he goes 11 for 13, two touchdowns, 150 yards, and Cam Newton goes 6 for 17 with 60 yards and a pick, yikes. Now, if it was the other way around where Cam Newton shows out and Mac Jones flops, then you can only imagine, you know, how Foxborough is going to take that and how New England's going to react to that. Not just Bill Belichick, who wants Cam, but everybody that wants Mac Jones. It's, you know, the quarterback, you know, for once in, I mean, there was no quarterback battle with Brady. There was really no quarterback battle with Drew Bledsoe. I couldn't even tell you the last time there was a true quarterback battle. Maybe before Drew Bledsoe? I don't even know. I mean, I don't think there was one with Steve Grogan, maybe when he first took over. I, I just, you know, that kind of predates my patriot intellect. However, you, you hear quarterback battles all the time across the league. You know, Russell Wilson, when he first got into the league, there was no, uh, you know, no quarterback battle for Patrick Mahomes. It was Alex Smith, his uh, Mahomes' rookie year, and then the second year for Mahomes, it was, you know, he was the guy. RG3 versus Kirk Cousins, there wasn't really a quarterback battle there. Andrew Luck, when he first got into the league, there wasn't. Tua, there wasn't. But you've seen quarterback battles. I, why can't I think of any others? Um, I mean, I'm sure the Jets have had tons of them. The Bills have had them before Josh Allen came in. The Bengals, when they had Andy Dalton. Ugh, I don't even know. Whatever. You, you know about them, right? It's maybe not so much prevalent any. I don't want to say anymore because... It's still a thing, right? But I just feel like teams kind of lock and load their starting quarterback before training camp. Mahomes, Allen, Wilson, Kyler Murray. I mean, I guess there was a question mark with Aaron Rodgers, but now he's back. He is the starting quarterback. There's no and ifs or buts. 
I guess you could say Washington with Ryan Fitzpatrick and oh, ta- uh, Taylor Henneke, maybe, but that's probably Fitzpatrick's job. So, yeah, I can't really think of actually an, any true quarterback battles in the league right now. Rams have Matthew Stafford. Lions have Goff. Colts had Wentz. Now they have Jacob Eason. Maybe there's a quarterback battle there because maybe he's not ready. Who knows? So this might be, Mac versus Cam might be the only or at least the most intriguing and interesting quarterback battle in all of the league. So my third point or key to the game, they're not really keys to the game. They're more just like things I'm looking for, I guess. So let me scratch that. Three things I'm looking forward. One of the offense, two Mac versus Cam, and number three, the secondary or the defense. I've heard a lot of great great things about the front seven, the front four at least, and how they're really gelling. Christian Barmore is really performing very nicely. Nice to have Dante Hightower back. Chase Winowich is kind of being a little Swiss Army knife in the front seven, middle, outside backer, edge, nose. But what about the secondary? We hear a lot of great things about the secondary. It's nice to have Stephon Gilmore. Still kind of have to pay him. J.C. Jackson, what is he going to look like? Is he really going to kind of you know, stay at that elite level he was at last year? Is he going to take a step back? Is he going to take a step forward? No Jason McCourty. Devin McCourty is the only McCourty there. Jonathan Jones is still your slot cornerback. Kyle Duggar, how has he progressed? I'm hearing a lot of great things about him. So is he going to elevate and take that next step? No Patrick Chung. So I, like I mentioned last time, if you don't bring back one of if not both, Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson, your secondary is so porked next year because, you know, there's rumors, and I mentioned this on Friday, there's rumors that Joan Williams could be a fringe player, and I don't think he should be because, you know, outside of Gilmore, and I think Jonathan Jones, because I think Joan Williams and J.C. Jackson came came onto the team together. So what's the point in cutting Joe Williams? You know, so I'm interested to see how he plays. Can he be a legitimate third cornerback for you? If Gilmore say he holds out or misses time due to injury, JC Jackson say, you know, God forbid he gets injured. You're going to need that third cornerback to kind of fill in, whether it's, you know, subbing in and out on defense in games or just giving the starters a break during the preseason. So I'm really interested to see how the secondary as a whole, not just the cornerback group, but as a whole, the secondary really performs. But those are just what I'm looking forward to, what I'm really specifically going to be watching for during the Patriots preseason game number one against the Washington football team. When is the kickoff? Probably like seven, I'm assuming. Uh, Patriots schedule. I'm assuming seven. 7.30 in Foxborough. So get excited. I'm excited. Can't wait to have a Patriots football back. It is an exciting time. It's kind of murky waters because you just had such a security net Tom Brady being the quarterback but now you have a true quarterback battle the offense is really revamped the defense is not rebuilt but it's retooled with guys coming back from COVID drafting and bringing in guys so it's an exciting time like I said uncharted waters for the Patriots but a lot of signs are pointing up and for the better hopefully when the season comes the regular season comes they can perform as they should with all that being said let me know in the comment section down below if you're watching on YouTube or reach out to me at Murphs underscore Boston ST where the ST stands for sports talk on social media with your thoughts about the Patriots, about what you're looking for, or even backtracking earlier in the episode about the Boston Red Sox. 
But that is going to do it for me today on episode 79 of Merv's Boston Sports Talk. Thank you so much for downloading, listening, and enjoying, which I really hope that you do and love. You can find me, Merv's Boston Sports Talk, on Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, and other audio-only platforms. Basically, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find the show. And you can also find the show on YouTube as well. Uh, Type in Murph's Boston Sports Talk and every single episode from the podcast is there along with other quirky things, vlogs, quizzes, you know, MLB The Show 21 gameplay, etc., etc. So, oh, speaking of YouTube, please like the video if you enjoyed today's episode. Comment down below like I've already mentioned. And if you're new or haven't considered subscribing yet, please subscribe to the channel as I would greatly appreciate that. Folks, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, all over the world, whoever may be listening, thank you so much for downloading, listening, and joining. I will catch you for episode number 80, Big 8-0 for Friday when I break down the Patriots' first preseason game against the Washington football team. And also, we're going to be breaking down the Boston Red Sox and how they perform over their series in their series against the Rays and was it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? So we'll be previewing their series against the Orioles as well. But folks, that's going to do it. Thank you so much. I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you know that I love you. You know that I will always, always see you. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.